you, Jennifer and Josh. Bless you. Bless you. Well, good morning. Good morning. Good morning. I want to ask you to join me in a prayer that we have come become accustomed to around here. But I, after all these years of standing behind one of these things on Sundays and living the weeks and months and years, uh, even in this city, I, I, have, I have come to be convinced unless the Lord somehow does the preaching, there's not really good, any good that comes out of our time together. We've been blessed to worship together. But folks, there's some things that I feel like we need to let in this morning. Some places of encouragement that the Lord wants to give us. Some instruction that He wants to give. But unless the Spirit of Jesus in power is working in our hearts to be our teacher, it's just going to be nothing more than just words. So here's the prayer. And I'm, I'm praying it right along with you, Lord. Send your Spirit in power to my heart this morning. Lord, send your Spirit in power my heart. Will you join me in saying that? You can say it out loud. You can just speak those words in your heart and your spirit back to the Lord. But this will be the difference, I'm telling you, this will be the difference between just checking a box, going to church on Sunday morning, and your heart being encouraged, I believe, and some understanding being opened, but he's the one who's going to need to help us. That's one of his names, the helper. The spirit not of the crucified Jesus, the spirit not of the weak Jesus because of suffering, but this is the spirit of the exalted Jesus Christ, the one who holds the keys of death and hell in his hand the one who's been reclothed with all of his majesty and authority. And it was from that perspective, that place on the day of Pentecost that he poured forth his spirit and Peter was changed. The coward turned into a lion. The ones that were scared to get outside of their houses for fear of the Jews and the Romans, when they were filled with, when their hearts were helped by the helper, Fear left the room. That's what we need, understanding and courage to live out what he's putting in our hearts. So, so one more time, one more time, out loud with me, if you want to, this isn't a test of spirituality, you know, but if you mean it, do this, express this in a way that is authentic to where you are this morning. Lord, send your spirit in power to this heart and then in response to that request that cry spirit of the living God Lord Jesus we receive your spirit in power to this heart 
the reason we put in power in there is that the Lord is everywhere present. There's nowhere you're going to go today or tomorrow or Wednesday night or Friday night that he's not already going to be. That he's not necessarily going to be there in power to help. Amen. And that's what we need. That's what we need. Thank you, Lord, for hearing our requests. We are needy. We're humble before you. We're counting on you to be our teacher this morning. Here, here is a phrase. Here is a phrase. That we're going to be leaning into these next few minutes. Here it is. When God sets his favor on an ordinary life, when God sets his favor on an ordinary life, what happens? Webster's defines ordinary as what is commonplace or standard or regular, something that is not in any way special or unusual. All the way back in the book of Exodus, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, way back yonder, front part of your Bible, Moses was out in a desert and he was shepherding sheep and goats. But God had a plan for Moses that Moses didn't know yet. All of a sudden, off in the distance, he sees a fire. But the fire is coming out of a green desert bush, mesquite bush. I don't know if it had mesquite over there. We got plenty of it to share around here. But it was something like that, a typical desert bush, one of five million maybe. But that particular bush experienced the favor of God in that moment, and it was lit with fire, but it wasn't burning up. It was a green bush with fire all over it. Moses went over to see what it was, because he had never seen anything like that. And out of the bush, the voice of the Lord came to him, Moses, take your shoes off because you're standing on holy ground. And the Lord delivered to him from that old ordinary mesquite bush, the word that would change the course of human history in a very real sense. It seems like God specializes in picking ordinary things and even subordinary things to do what he wants to do. I want you to find in your copy of the scripture this morning, your Bible, I hope you have it, over in 1 Corinthians, the book of 1 Corinthians. And this is the roll call of the church, basically. Paul is writing to these Christians in Corinth. Verse 26, 1 Corinthians 1, 26. This is what he says. For consider your calling, brethren. 
that there were not many wise according to the flesh and the world's standards, not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble, but God has chosen, God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, the wise things of the world. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong. And the base things of the world and the despised, God has chosen. The things that are not, that he might nullify the things that are, that no man should boast before God. When God sets his favor on an ordinary life, like yours, like mine, amazing things happen. Ordinary in the eyes of the world, that would be the church, the Corinthian followers of Jesus. But ordinary as far as a spiritual state is concerned, what, what, what would that look like? Go, go to Ephesians, the book of Ephesians, chapter 2, and follow along as, as I read these words. Paul again writing, verse 1, Ephesians 2, 1, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Dead meaning you were cut off from the flow of the life of God. What does that? Sin separates from the life of God. Sin cuts off. Sin, something dies when sin reigns. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world. You were walking just like everybody was walking, living just like everybody's living, according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. That's Satan, the devil, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. And then he says, and again, he's talking about the church. Among them we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, deserving wrath because of the life we were living as the rest. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ, for by grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, in order that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works that no one should boast. And look at verse 10, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, 
which God prepared beforehand, the good works prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. When God sets his favor on an ordinary life, a series of things are involved, happen, initiated. The first one is this. When God sets his favor on an ordinary life, his rich mercy covers you. His rich mercy covers you. When did God start loving you? When did the Lord start having an interest in you? Was it when you showed up this morning and parked and came into a church house? Was it when you changed your vocabulary or just walked away from some friends that were pulling you down? What was it when he saw that you were trying to do right, that that's when he started loving you? The scripture says categorically, no. There has never been a day in your life that the Lord has not loved you. Now, he hadn't liked what we've done. He hadn't been able to bless out of the fullness of his heart our lives because of some choices we've made and some attitudes we've had. But that doesn't mean that he hasn't been loving and in fact, an expression of his love, Paul's, Paul writes, is his mercy, his mercy toward you and me. That, that when we deserved judgment, when we deserved getting slapped down, instead of that, either nothing happened to us immediately, or as time has gone on, we saw the wrong of what we were doing, and we cried out for the Lord's mercy, and there was forgiveness that came and covered those things that we were coming to be ashamed of. He says in verse 4, but God being rich in mercy. The Lord knows what he got when he got you. And he didn't back off. And he didn't quit loving you. When God sets his favor on an ordinary life, he knows he's going to get some junk with the life. He knows he's going to get a mess. But great is his mercy. Great is his mercy. There's a definition for this Greek word translated mercy that I, I, I want to just speak it into your hearing this morning. This is... This mercy is his benevolent pity for the misery brought about by our sin. It's his pitying love. There may be certain consequences of our past sinfulness which grace may not eliminate. For these we need God's mercy. It means that there have been places where the Lord has stepped in and stopped the law of the harvest. 
because of his compassion, because of his pitying love. So for the Lord to set his favor on an ordinary person, it means that that ordinary person is going to come to the understanding that the Lord has had mercy on me. How many of you could say, I know that's true. I know that's true. It's an indication that he's favoring you. He doesn't have to do it. And these are the introduction of things that though it would be the forgiveness the covering, having mercy for things we've done before Christ, this is the introduction of some things into our awareness, into our lives, that all the rest of our days between here and we get into glory in heaven, where we're going to need to know our Lord has mercy on us. When you're dead spiritually, it's like somebody walking up and talking to that eye beam right there and going over the things God loves you, God cares about you, you're, you, you, you're wasting your life going this way, there's a better way to live, and it's like talking to steel. It's like talking to plywood, like talking to sheetrock, because we were spiritually dead. We didn't get it because we were spiritually dead. The flow of the life of the Lord Helping us to understand, helping us to get it, was not in operation. But when somehow, some way, the Lord began his work on your heart, on my heart, helping me to hear some things that I hadn't heard before because I was dead, causing me to come, and use the word, quickening me. It's the word here used for a woman who first feels the baby kick within her womb. She knows there's someone alive within her. The quickening, the kick. That is the word that is used here for some of the ones we've known that we didn't feel, we, no one couldn't say anything to us that we would get in terms of a relationship with Jesus and our lives being turned around. But then one day that, thank God, began to change. Instead of being turned away from that information, that truth, that teaching, and people like that, we found ourselves wanting to hear more. Where did that come from? All of this is going to be about the grace of God given to us. Not that we were going to all of a sudden be able to do what is necessary to rescue ourselves. This whole thing is about you were dead, and the only way you came to spiritual life is because the God who loved you had mercy on you and gave you the ability to start noticing and hearing and moving toward Him. Amen. It's a sign of His favor. It's a mark of His favor that somehow you have come to be convinced of his mercy towards you. The second thing, when God sets his favor on an ordinary life, his great love marks you. If, if notice what he says. Being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us. Now, this, this kind of love 
is not a romantic kind of love. It's not primarily an emotional kind of love. It's unique to this description of God's love for us that will result in our ability to love him back. We love because he first loved us. It's that word agape. It means that the one who loves looks into the life of the one who is loved and realizes that there are things, something, some things that that one who is loved needs but doesn't have. It's at the place of need, not at the place of every want and every desire, but at the place of need. And so the one who loves gives to the one who is loved what that one really needs. That's the meaning of John 3.16, for God so loved the world, what? That he gave his only begotten son. Why didn't he give everybody a billion dollars? Why didn't he give everybody a house on six in six states? It's because we don't need that kind of stuff. That's not our biggest problem, financial poverty or lack. Our greatest need is we need the heavens opened between here and there so that from his heart, he's free to bless. He's free to give. He's free to do whatever it is that he knows we truly need. The greatest need is Jesus. The greatest need in your life is Jesus. And not just the person as a concept, but the power of his cross, the power of his empty tomb, the power of his spirit being poured out to fill and to help and to change from the inside out those who would put their faith and trust in Jesus. What happens when God sets his favor on an ordinary life is that his rich mercy covers you and his great love marks you. You are known in the heavenlies. You are known by the Father as one whom the Father loves. And Paul would write that it is the love of God that is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. In Ephesians Three, the prayer that, second prayer that Paul prays for the Ephesian church, he, he, he says, I, I, I pray that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your heart through faith, and that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, so that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. How do you get filled up to all the fullness of God? It's that your heart is saturated with the sense and the knowing that God loves you. The love of Christ, he says, which surpasses knowledge. And, and, the, and the word know there doesn't mean just know it in your head, but it means to know experientially. 
to feel it, to feel it. I, I, I think we, we, we miss it as, as um, the American church people and American pastors, maybe some just, that it's all information, it's all information, get your information right so you'll know what to do. That, the problem is not that we don't know what to do, the problem is the want to to do it. And the want to comes from <laughs> knowing that God loves you. And because he loves you, you want to please him. That, that, that he, 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 you are a joy to him. And the response to his joy is that I want to please him. Rather than holding up this long list of this is how you better live and this is how you better talk and this is what you better quit doing and this is where you better not go or where you ought to go. And all of the you betters and all the you ought tos wear people out because we can't do it on our own. The only way that we can live that way is if he, by his spirit, persuades us, convinces us of the love of God toward us. That which will draw someone to God quicker is when there is a fresh sense that he loves me in spite of. He's loved me all the way through. He cares about me. And as a result of that, I want him to have my life. But if, he, if the vision, the image is of a God who's never satisfied, of a God whom you can never please, then what happens is you may, we may be headed to heaven because our faith is in Jesus, but as far as a relationship with the Lord, we're, we're, out, we're, we're skiing wide behind the boat. We're, we're out in the brush looking in. We understand, however, that when God sets his favor on an ordinary life, his rich mercy covers you. His great love marks you. Your heart is marked by the one who loves you. You know you're not perfect, and he knows I'm not perfect. But I know I'm loved by him. There is no greater sign of favor on someone's life than for one to know experientially that you are loved. You are loved by your heavenly Father, by the Savior. Another truth, when God sets his favor on an ordinary life, his rich mercy covers you, his great love marks you, and his power, his power raises you. His power raises you. Look, look at, at verse 5. Even when we were dead in our transgressions, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Even when we were dead in our transgressions, he made us alive together with Christ. That's where that word for quickening comes in. There began to be something working inside of your heart, your spirit, something coming to life. Whereas before, 
there was no registry. Now there comes to be a registry of spiritual life. When, when we get mad at me, well, you just need to believe. You just need to believe. Somebody who's dead spiritually doesn't have the power to believe. Well, you ought, to, you ought to love, you ought to forgive, you ought to, but someone who, who is dead spiritually, it, 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 it's, like, it's like walking up to a coffin. Many of them have been positioned here in this room, and there's a, there's a body in there, and, and you just begin to talk to that body, and you begin to talk to that person, where are you going to go, what they need to do, what they, there's no response. Folks, that is, that is why. Until the Lord brings life to our hearts, we can be completely dead to the things that we ought to be alive to. But the reason we're dead to it is because we've chosen a way away from God. We're not a child of God at that. We're a creation, but we're not a child of God until Christ comes to live. But as many as received him, John 12, 1, 12. But as many as received Jesus, to these he gave the right to be called the children of God, even to those who believe in his name. To be a creation is infinitely different than being a child of. The child of happens when the Lord by his spirit begins to awaken us of the, of the reality of who Jesus is. It's not religion. It's not a building. It's not a statue. It's not a baby in somebody's lap or some dead person stood on a cross. It's the real, living, powerful, loving in your life, Jesus. Not God in general, Jesus in particular. And when the Lord by His Spirit begins to work His power of raising us from the dead, the centrality of the person of Jesus rises as a monolith before our faces and in our hearts. It's Jesus. Don't, don't, tell me, don't, don't tell me when you got catechized. Don't tell me when you got baptized. Don't tell me how many Bibles you've marked up and disciples. When did you open your heart up and receive Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord? That is the sole objective of us being brought to life by the Spirit so that we would embrace Jesus as our Savior. He died on the cross to pay for my sins. He died in my place to save me from my sins. He was buried. He paid the full price. He died. The wages of sin is death. He paid for my sins in his death. But he was raised again on the third day, proving that death couldn't hold him, sin couldn't defeat him, that he had conquered sin and death and Satan. He's alive. And because he's no longer in one body, he's alive by his spirit. And right here in this room, there's somebody else in this room you can't see. At times when we feel that breeze from another land blowing through this place. Sometimes a herald stand up on the back of your neck. Sometimes you want to turn and look and see because he's here. He's here. And where he is, his power to do anything he wants to do can be released.
when God sets his favor on an ordinary life, his power raises you from death to life. You, you, see, you see how Paul put it there in, in verse 5. Even when we were dead in our transgressions, he made us alive together. He made us alive together with Christ. There's resurrection power that works in you. There's raise the dead power that now works in you. Paul, and, and these are, these are things, that are, these are to be operative realities. It's not something that just happens when we come to know Christ as Savior, and then we just sort of know that that's there, but we don't tap into the strength thereof in our lives. No. Paul would say that I may know Him and know the power of His resurrection in my life Every day, in the circumstances I go through, I love feeling his resurrection power. What's that? To raise from the dead. I love to see my Savior raise people from the dead. Now that physically, death, that can be witnessed. Paul testified to that. But it's the spiritual raising from the dead. Somebody graveyard dead, having no interest whatsoever in Jesus Christ, the Spirit begins to work on them. And their countenance begins to change. The words indicating interest begin to change. The power of his resurrection. The power of his resurrection. Folks, we're going to need to know all the days of our lives that we, we have the favor of his mercy on us. That we have the favor of his love upon us. That we have the favor of his power even to raise the dead <laughs> upon us and working with us. Somebody say amen to that. I mean, you know, I mean, is your life so smooth you don't ever need to be rescued? <laughs> everything, everything going just fine. I can handle it. But what happens when stuff comes up and something has the potential to break your heart, to buckle a grown man to his knees? So why didn't God stop it? What if the Lord? The reason we'll talk a little bit about why He doesn't stop some things in a moment, but one of the reasons can be is that we've forgotten about our need for his power. We think we can do it. And it is a, it is a sickness of the American male. I guess I could say that, you know, be gender open and do that, but I've I, I never been a woman, I don't know. But I can tell you as far as a man goes, you're supposed to be able to say, I can handle it. Get lead, follow, or get out of my way. And we drive the truck off a cliff because we don't have that. But when, 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 the, when the Lord does his work in a life, in a man's life, a woman's life, a person's life, there comes to be the realization that, Lord, you have given me an expression of your power in rescuing me and opening my eyes to you and who you are because you know I'm going to need your expressions of power in my life at work, with my family, with folks around me. I'm going to need your power. You, 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 you close your Bible, walk out that back door, and think somehow I'm just leaving Jesus staring at me with his face smushed up against that glass as I go out to do the rest of my life. 
when that couldn't be any farther than the truth. For those of us who have experienced Christ in me, my hope of glory, where you are, he is. What you are feeling, he knows and he feels. And he wants you to know his favor by the expression of his power to rescue, to deliver, to even raise something that has been dead to life again. When God sets his favor on an ordinary life, his rich mercy covers you. His great love marks you. His power raises you. His grace saves you. That's a summary statement because everything up above that point is all about God's grace. Grace in mercy we don't deserve. In love we couldn't earn. In power, His power we couldn't buy. And he's just saying, and Paul just come back to this, you didn't save yourselves. You didn't memorize enough scripture. You didn't go to rabbinical school long enough. You hadn't given enough money away to save yourself. If, 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 you, if you could save yourself, then the cross of Jesus was the greatest waste of a human life in all of human history. He says it was the grace of God that rescued you. It was the grace of God, meaning the grace of God expressed in what Jesus did for on the cross, dying in our place so we would not have to pay for that, for our sin. He paid the price. The grace of God, His unbroken flow of love to you and me that works the change within us so we want to please Him instead of run from Him. The joy of being in his presence is infinitely greater than not enjoying his presence. And his grace shown in power, power to change me, to stop me, to give me a yes when I only had a no, to give me a no when all I knew was was a yes. The grace, for by grace you have been saved. Folks, listen. I don't know how we mess this up. I don't know how it happened so easy. But we can tell, by grace you've been saved. So we get them in, you know, we, we baptize them, and we, we get them in some discipleship classes, and then somewhere along the way, we, we just quit saying it's the grace of God that saves you and the grace of God that keeps you. You're on your own now. You're on your own. Here's the bar, and you better jump it, and if you don't make it, you're going to be in real trouble. God's going to be mad at you. We... we, we, we where, where have we lost the clarity of that message? Paul repeats it at least twice in these short, this short section. It is by the grace of God that you are changed. It's by the grace of God that you are saved and forgiven. And it will always be there. It won't be that, that you, you reach a point in your Christian life where you can know enough Scripture and have beaten back enough of your flesh so that you won't ever have to require the grace of God to keep you free and keep you loving him and keep you wanting to serve him. By grace we're saved. Let that in, my brother and my sister. I'm talking to some folks 
and you've grown up with legalism, you've grown up in a, in a church setting, an American church setting maybe, and it was all about behavior. That was your spiritual litmus test. Well, you didn't do this and you did do that and how long you did the other. A spiritual litmus test. Legalism. A legalism. And what that fosters in the hearts of folks who really would want to know the Lord and love the Lord, it fosters a, it fosters a, a, a guilty conscience and a sense of judgment. And so you just give up. I can't ever live it. I can't ever do it. I can't ever live up to their standards. The truth of the matter is, some of those standards are man-made standards. They're nothing to do with God kind of standards. They're just man-made standards. You better do it and you better not do it. We make it up. Jesus would say the Pharisees don't even keep the law. They require the people to keep. But where is the change? Where's the power to change? It's not me as staring at your navel and trying to get the hope generated and the change generated from down here. No. It comes from the power of his life in you giving you the ability to be different. And so when I realize I, I, I ought to live this way, but I'm not living that way, instead of me beating myself up and, and reading 54 verses on self-control and all that other stuff, Lord, unless you send your spirit in power to my heart, I'll never obey you. You may have been, have been known the Lord 45 years, but I'm just telling you, to say that and to make that a regular part of your practice is life and it's hope. And every day has its fresh set of challenges. Every day, every day. We may have knocked it over the fence yesterday, but we got up to bat again today. Lord, send your spirit and power to strengthen this heart so that I will have the power to obey. By grace you're saved. By grace you're saved. Not by works. Paul just, he just couldn't say that enough. He repeats it again. For by grace you eight two, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. What's the gift of God? Even the ability to believe is the gift of God. And not of works, lest no one should boast. Now, I sound like I'm fussing, and I am sort of fussing. I'm not fussing because I feel like we're failing at that place of, of not realizing the, the, the need to be crying out, Lord, send your spirit in power to awaken the faith and to encourage the love in my heart, cause it to be there. I, I, I believe that's operating. But what I'm mad about is, is how sometimes we, how we've been raised or what, what the pressure out there can be. Here's the bar. You better jump it or God's mad at you or you've failed and it can leave the church. It can leave the Jesus sheep discouraged and want to quit. And want to, that's why many have just given up on the church. I'm talking to some folks that say you just given up on the church for good reason. You should leave. You should. Let's say that you should leave. If all you're hearing is, it's up to you, it's up to you, and when you fail, you're the loser, you're bad, you're wrong, you're hopeless. When somewhere through all of that that we have heard and has been pressed in upon us, there should have been that teaching. 
Jesus said, apart from me, you can't do a thing. He was saying that to drive us in John 15, to drive us to the place of wanting to abide in him, to get our strength from him. And when we start Monday morning, instead of first looking at all the standards and all the things we got to do this week so we don't blow it, instead of looking at your list, look to the Spirit. We can spend all our time trying to beat down the flesh and, 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 and live right. We spend all our energy trying to not to do something, and we don't have any energy left to go to the place where the hope is and the help is. Lord, send your Spirit and power to my heart that I may please you, that I may do what you want me to do this week. And to say it with your lips, Lord, if you don't help me, I'll never live it right. David said, I will run the way of your commandments, for you will enlarge my heart. He didn't say, I'll run the way of your commandments, period. I'm a sterling example of, of how to be a godly man and a king and a military leader and all that. No. He knew himself, just like you and I need to know ourselves, that we know our weakness more than we may even know our strengths, that we would say as David would say, Lord, I'll run the way of your commandments, but you're going to have to enlarge my heart. Can you say amen to that? I mean, the hope that's there, the hope that's there. When, when God sets his favor on an ordinary life, his rich mercy covers you. His great love marks you. His power raises you. His grace saves you and keeps you. And I'm going to finish with this, and we're going to come back to this probably next week. His authority elevates you. When God sets his favor on an ordinary life, his authority elevates you. Look at what Paul wrote, verse 6, by grace you have been saved, but then he says, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Raised us up with him, with Jesus, seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Well, where is Jesus? Look, look across the column. It may be situated that way in your Bible. Look at Ephesians 1, verse 19. These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. Look in what Paul writes. He raised us up with him, verse 6, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You may live here in San Antonio, 
Your pickup truck may be parked in a spot out yonder in this parking lot. You physically are here. But the favor of God has positioned you in a place of authority in the heavenly place. You say, Pastor, that's just getting a little weird. Then just, then just tell me that's not what we just read. There's a dimension of you that is not human. There's a dimension of you that does not fit in this culture. There's a dimension of you that is one with the Lord Jesus Christ, and you are a joint heir with him. Which means, which means, he can say to you and me on this earth, facing the assaults of the enemy in various forms, he can say this to your spirit, men, ladies, young ones older, enforce my authority. Enforce my authority against the encroaching demons. Enforce my authority against Satan's plan. It can be enforce my authority to stop the assault of the enemy, but it can also be enforce my authority to bless according to my heart. Peter and John on the way to the temple. A thousand times we've heard this. Silver and gold I don't have. But what I do have, I give to you. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. Peter didn't go to all the crippled people, all the lame people on that day and heal all of them. There could have been hundreds, if not thousands, gathered to the temple to beg alms for folks coming in. But somehow, some way, he heard to his spirit the Lord telling him it was that man's time and you enforce my authority. I want to say this to husbands and fathers of children. There will be some things that will not be broken off your wife. Some things that will not be broken off your children until you enforce the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ over whatever that is that's coming against them. I enforce the authority. Folks, you say, well, I'm not good at that. Well, you better learn how to be good at it. There are not enough pills in the company, in the country. To get the Satan, get the work of the devil from harassing. When, when your wife comes in and she's buckled, she comes in and she's sad, she comes in and, and things are going hard, where's that coming from? Huh? Is that just a natural course of events? It's just kind of, a, we just kind of have to live with it. What if it is the devil? What if it is a demon spirit? And what if God has positioned you in authority as a husband, as a father in that home? His favor is on you. Enforce my authority. I enforce the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ against whatever that is coming against my wife.
You got things happening with kids in school. You, you, you try to get stuff talked out with, with the powers that be and nothing seems to happen. It seems to be harassment. Where is that coming from? Learn it and engage. Be a man of God. Be a woman of God. Raised up and seated in the heavenly places. It's not physical. It's not natural. It's in the unseen realm. But here's what you need to know. Darkness recognizes when a man or a woman realizes the place of authority that God has given them, and they stand in it. Jesus I know, the devil said, the demon said, and Paul I know. But who are you? Someone trying to copy Paul's authority. But the devil said, Jesus I know, and Paul I know. I know them because of their authority. All Satan understands is a bigger gun barrel. You can't negotiate with him. You can't reason with him. All he understands is a bigger cannon barrel. And what did Jesus say? All authority has been given unto me in heaven and on earth. Go make disciples of all the nations. You go in my authority. So, folks, and I know I've said this a bunch, but it, it, it ought to haunt us in a holy kind of way. What are things that aren't changing because we are not enforcing his authority? What if he is wanting us to learn, I will show you, I will teach you? Not going in our own authority, it's his authority. Raised up and seated in the heavenly places. Oh, goodness. When the prayer's like that, instead of this little mealy mouth kind of, well, you know, just hope God will get us through this. Hope God. What if the Lord's saying, listen, your agreement with me and you're enforcing my authority against whatever is hindering out there, that is the key to this being lifted. And I'm not lifting it until you learn. Because you're vital. This is a warfare. And I want you to understand my victory. Husbands, wives, Parents, parents of children, company, businesses, wherever you are, enforce my authority. Raised up and seated in the heavenly places with Christ. We're going to stop here. Come back to this next week. Lord, I'm, I ask you to do this. I don't know who is specifically needing to hear this. But some, there is some man who needs to hear this. There is some mom who needs to hear this. There is some executive. There is some worker, co-worker. There is some friend who needs to hear this. You have a position on this earth, but you have a position seated in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Enforce my authority. Enforce my authority. Enforce my authority. Lord, will you show us what that means? And we trust you to do that in Jesus' name. I told you when we first started that this was just going to be a whole bunch of words unless the Spirit and power brought them to your heart. And that's still true. There's some of just, this has just gone right over the top of your head, but there's some others of you that are saying, that's what I, I needed to hear that. 
and I receive it. Lord, teach us by your Spirit. Show us, show us, show us. We, we can all stack up the reasons why God shouldn't hear us. We can all stack up, up the reasons why, why we need his mercy. And so we get hung up with the stuff that we've done and, and being able to move on to the fact that we've been forgiven and into this next place of raised up and seated in the heavenly places of Christ Jesus. Just saying, there's some men, guys, your husband's not going to be able to get this off your family. Man up. You man up. She's doing all she can do. But Satan recognizes positions of authority, levels of authority, and you're it. All right, I'm, some man's probably going to want to meet me in the parking lot out here, and I'll, I'll call the officers to walk with me to the truck. But if the shoe fits, slap it on. There's freedom in him. There's hope in him. There's power in him. There's victory in him. When God sets his favor on an ordinary life, incredible things happen that cannot be defined by just an ordinary life. They are an extraordinary life by the power of the one who lives in you. Lord, Take this where it needs to go, I pray. Bless your word. May this be freedom and hope. By grace we are saved. We need your grace to rescue us, to keep us, to keep changing us another day. Thank you, Lord, for the freedom and the joy that we get in knowing we're not a disappointment to you when we pray, Lord, send your spirit and power to my heart. You, you take that as my kids are finally getting it. They're finally understanding. And you delight to answer that prayer. Send your spirit in power to help, to strengthen, to teach, to speak. Send your spirit in power, Lord, to your people, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Let's stand together. I don't know if y'all got anything out of this, but I've just loved hollering at you this morning. Just loved it. Just hollering. You, some, some of y'all going to be bumping me out of this place one day. You're going to have some stories to tell. You got off on that enforce his authority, and I started doing that, realizing it was his authority, not mine, but I began to speak that into situations, and breakthroughs happened, and clouds lifted, and, and amazing things have happened. Yeah. Yeah. You, 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 you. Raised up and seated in the heavenly places. If we can pray with you, come this way. Prayer partners, if you'll join me, please, at the front. We want to pray with you if you're here in this room. Pastor Walker at alamocity.org. Send us a paragraph, a brief prayer, just to do some description of how we can pray for you. Answers to prayer, if there's some of those you want to share. And then especially if sometime during the day, this message, during this time, you've prayed, Lord Jesus, I open my heart to receive you into my heart as my Savior and Lord, especially if you have prayed that prayer with us even today or any, whenever, whenever you're hearing this. Let us hear from you because we want to help. We want to help and encourage you, okay? Okay. I want to ask you to come this way if you need prayer. Otherwise, you can just stay in this place as long as you want to. But before you go, would you find somebody that looks like they could really use an
encouragement, just a kind word, or maybe a handshake, a hug. Speak a blessing. The, the power of life and death in the tongue. Let, let's speak some life as we go out here, all right? I'm praying for you. I love you. I believe in what God's doing in your life. And you step into the challenges that he puts you in the authority that he's given you in the name of Jesus. An amazing thing will keep on happening. God bless you. Come this way if we can pray with you. Speak to some around you. Just encourage somebody before you go. God bless you. Love you. Thank you for being here.